Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and for these people. I thank you for the privilege of being able to speak your word, to speak your word that is not mine but yours, of truth, of life, of hope. So Lord, let there be less of me and more of you. May you come through clearly with your gospel of grace, mercy, and life. Lord, we ask to chisel out eyes and ears out of our granite heads so we might hear and receive your truth and take it out into a world that is desperate for forgiveness, desperate for grace, desperate for your presence. We pray these things in the powerful name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We have been studying the fruits of the Spirit um, since September. We've been moving ourselves through um, the different fruits of the Spirit, and it's been very enlightening, encouraging, um, a little difficult sometimes um, for me to figure out how to say everything or to, to make sure that we get the different angels on it. And it's interesting because we're coming into this fruit today, this fruit of gentleness. Under times, you'll see it in the Bible as meekness, gentleness, meekness. And as you sit and you look at the, the thought of gentleness and meekness, I think this one in particular has been difficult for me to say, okay, God, what is it to be gentle in your spirit? What is it to have the spirit fill us so that gentleness comes out? When do we see and know gentleness? Because I think part of gentleness and the trick behind it is we don't recognize gentleness until after we've seen it. We don't recognize the way that gentleness behaves until we engage it and then we leave and we think back and we go, huh, that was different. That wasn't how I've been treated in other ways. That, that wasn't how I've um, been acted towards. And so I want us to do something really quick. I want us to engage those around you. If you are sitting next to somebody who is in your, in your direct family, I'm going to ask you to find someone different which means maybe just don't look to the right, but look to the left, okay? But I just have two simple questions for you, okay? Where have you seen gentleness? When you think of this, is there a person or a name that comes to mind? And the second question is, what is the opposite of gentleness? I think in some ways, defining gentleness, it's easier to recognize when things are not gentle, are not meek. If it's not just two of you, if you need to find a three, some that's fine, go ahead. But again, I encourage you to not talk to the person you are married to, in the family of, gave birth to, or something like that. So, you have two minutes, ready, go. Someone who's gentle, what's the opposite of gentleness?
Okay. I absolutely One of my very favorite sounds is um, what just happened. I love the people of God talking um, with each other and about just cool things. So thank you for chatting with one another. Hopefully you got to know somebody new. I went to this very um, good source called Facebook, and I posted a similar question um, to my friends. Um, it does say Emily because Emily and I share a Facebook account. So there are sometimes it's very much about our bond. That's usually Emily. And these random theological questions come at you. That's me. Um, unless sometimes it's Emily, but most often the times I hit the theological side. So um, I asked the same question. What's the opposite of gentleness as I was kind of thinking about this? And people said things. And I know you can't read it, so I apologize. But aggressive, brutality. Um, Mike Rada said aggression. I don't think it's weakness handle children and situations, bad times, gently, not with possessions. Gina Kemp said, I think gentleness often gets confused for passiveness. You can be passionate and gentle. Um, Emily's sister said, harsh or mean. Um, Someone else said, uh, I like this question, Megan from Alabama. I think it's rash, a lack of consideration or concern. Quick to act. I think someone who is gentle does things with intentionality and thought. And she continues, because you could tell she was thinking about it more. I think gentleness gets confused with being a yes man and always telling people what they want to hear or being a pushover. Interesting. There's an there's interesting line between gentleness and pushover, right? Interest, a line that we can cross in trying to figure out how to navigate. I want us to consider this idea of what does it mean to be gentle? And I want to use the two fathers that we heard today in the readings as examples. We started with listening to this story of Leah and Rebecca and the difficulty that we had with Laban, their father, right? So Jacob, he goes and he discovers this woman who he's going to marry and he's going to marry this woman and he works seven years to marry her. And this is the plan. Seven years he's working in Laban's fields, right? Going, going, going. And finally, after seven years, I'm going to finally marry her, right? Yes, I'm going to finally marry my bride. Whole wedding party, everything happens. The details, there must have been much, much wine involved. Because he wakes up And he looks over, and he goes, this is not who I agreed to marry. This is not the woman. This is her older sister. And he goes to the father and says, Laban, what did you do? You brought me the wrong daughter. And Laban goes, actually, in our culture, in our area, if you saw here, let's go go back real quick. Nope, wrong reading. He says, he says then, um, Laban says to him, he says, this is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. (laughs) And if you're Jacob, what do you think the response is? I've been working for you for seven years, and you never mentioned this? In all of the time we've been in the field, you never brought up the fact 
this is not the order of things, so you can't work seven years for the younger daughter? No, just, just never came up in conversation. I, I, the shock, right, that he has at this, and then he goes, you know what? How about this? You can have Rachel too, but you got to work seven more years for me. And he says, deal. Rachel, it's worth it. And so Leah and Rachel both become wives of Jacob. And then we have this, right after this verse, God, God, or it says, God saw that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. So he gave Leah an open wound and closed up Rachel's. So she couldn't produce children, but Leah could produce children for him, which is the most important thing in those days, is having offspring. But I want us to pause, I want us to think about Laban for a second. Laban did a very non-gentle thing here. Now, it wasn't war. It wasn't pounding down on him. But Laban saw a situation, knew how he wanted the situation to end, and manipulated the situation to be in his favor. And so for seven years, he had this situation going on, and he said, I need my daughters to be married off, I'm going to have it in this order, and I'm going to work the situation to the way I want it to work. And Laban's will was imposed upon the situation. And instead of gently allowing the the world, the situation, to work itself out, Laban's will became the dominating factor. And it went how Laban wanted it to go. We're going to oppose that with the father and the prodigal son. The father and the prodigal son, the son comes to him and he says, Father... Give me my inheritance now. And what he's saying to the father is, Father, you're better off dead to me than alive. You give me what I get when you die. I don't want anything to do with you. I just want your money. And the father responds by giving this to the son. He gives his son these riches and takes himself out of the equation. The prodigal son then goes and very quickly those riches become the direction, the means towards his own demise. Uses it, spends it in ways he shouldn't use it and he spends it. And he's sitting in a pigsty, the uncleanest of animals, longing to eat what the pigs eat, which is food that's, um, the word that's translated there when you do this story in Greek is, do you know that Indian corn that you put up on the wall? That's the kind of food this is. So you can chomp down on it, and it's not going to do anything for you. But it's better to fill your stomach with that than just to die of hunger. And he comes to a sentence, he says, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you and against all the people because his whole community would know what he has done and would say, that boy is done. 
He's dead to us. He had to leave because what he did was so shameful, so horrible, that he could not be around them anymore. Father, I've done something totally shameful to you and to the people. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. Just treat me like one of your servants so at least I can have food because I'm so hungry. And he goes to the father and he starts coming home. And the image that we have here is that the father is a man of power, is a man of means. And in those days, they would sit by the gate and stand and sit and talk with their friends and make decisions for the city or for the village. And far off, he sees his son coming. And as he sits and sees his son coming, he stands and he does what is shameful and starts to run to his son. Now, men of means and power do not run. They don't run and make themselves look like a child. They don't take their beautiful robe that they're wearing and drag it in the dirt. But he sees his son, he knows who his son is, and he knows that that boy who is dead to him has just shown back up, and he goes and he runs to him. And the son comes and he says, Father, I've done something shameful. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And if you look in the story, you'll notice he doesn't complete his thought. He doesn't say, make me one of your servants. But just out of pure repentance comes, and the father then takes everything that he has. He says, here's my authority. Here's my ring. Put on your finger. Dress in this robe. We're going to take you and give you food, not just any calf, but the best kind of calf. And we're going to give it to you because you are back. And he welcomes him in. Laban and the prodigal son, and the father of the prodigal son. Laban's agenda ruled the day. I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to make it work the way I can make it work. I'm going to send in my older daughter and get the situation to work how I want it to work. And the prodigal son's father who says, here, take this. I can deal with the shame. I can deal with what you have done. And then he waits. He doesn't send out people to check on his son. And if his son never comes home, that's a result of his decision. And he will sit and he'll be with his friends. And I believe that that prodigal son's father would be okay. But his son did return. And when his son returned, he was not going to allow that relationship to be defined by that action. But instead, he ran to him and reunited with him, restored him to the community. The son, the father, was willing to shame himself by running and acting childlike to go to his son, to reconcile with his son, to bring him back into the town and say, this son of mine, who you all think is dead, he's alive again and he's back. And we're going to treat him like he deserves to be treated. And you think about the difference of these two fathers. And you think about the way the prodigal son's father handled this with gentleness. He handled it in a way that wasn't dominating his son, 
wasn't driving him down, forcing his agenda on the situation the way that Laban forced Leah, but instead, with power and strength and the opportunity to forgive and the ability to take the shame on himself, he restored his son in gentleness. This is the model that God has for us. God does all the work in restoring us to himself. We are the son who has come back with our head hung, starving, desperate for something, and we're not sure if we're going to be received because what we have done is so shameful. And then the image of Jesus carrying a cross. The image of Jesus standing in front of a crowd yelling, crucify him, wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe after having been whipped 40 times. And we see that Jesus is taking the shame that we deserved coming up so that this relationship could be restored. That Jesus, in gentleness, but fullness of power, walked to the cross. Not forcing anyone, not forcing his agenda, but instead bearing the sins, bearing the shame, in the hope of restoration, walking to the cross so that the world could be different and that we could be different. There is an amazing power in gentleness. A power that does not dominate or force, but a power that with firmness, hope, welcomes in. What's amazing to me about both God and the prodigal son's father is If the sinner never comes to repent, the father's still okay. If the sinner never comes back, the father knows who he is, knows his position, knows his authority, will grieve the lost son, will grieve the lost sinner, but doesn't need him. This is gentleness. It's firmness without dominating. And I think the challenge for us as people of faith and people of God is it's so hard not to put our agenda on everything. It's so hard not to be Laban, right? And to say, I'll bet you if I do this and that happens and this happens, then then this will end up working out. And for Laban, it actually did. He got both his daughters married off. It worked. And we try so hard to do that. But what this fruit of the Spirit, I believe, bubbles up by living by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, Psalm 1, that rushing river that the tree is planted by, filling us with his Spirit, what it produces is the ability to be able to say, I know who I am. I know I'm a beloved child of God. I know what Jesus has done for me. That he has died on the cross to take away all my sins, has done all the work. 
When I was the prodigal son coming head down ashamed, he ran to me in shame so that we could be restored. I know who I am. And I know that my God is living and active here and now. And so I can stand rooted by the river of God, not looking to dominate with my agenda around, but with open hands, trust and believe that God is alive and is active. And this is gentleness. And I don't think we recognize it until we've a week past it and we look back and we go, oh, that happened. Look at how they handled that. Look at with the power, but yet softness, it was handled. I've always dreamed about, um, I, I am an absolutely horrible artist. If you've ever seen me even use my handwriting, you know how that all plays out um, and where it ends. But I've, I've had this wonderful image in my head for so many years of this massively strong, powerful lion sitting up in fullness of authority and in the lion between his arms is a sleeping child. And um, if you were here, I think on Christmas a year ago, uh, Dred Simpkins drew this for us, kind of a quick sketch of it out. But for me, this power that is contained, but holding in gentleness this baby, is I think the beautiful image that we have. God holds us and then allows us to do the same with our lives and the people around us. We don't have to dominate because we know the power of God. We don't have to assert our agenda over something because we believe in a God who is living and active. We don't have to wonder about our position because we know that God has done everything to call us his children. And so we can stand in gentleness with power. And so as you go through this week, I want you to consider Laban and the father of the prodigal son. I want you to look at the ways that you are working to make your ways the way. And I want you to pray to God to reveal in you a gentleness that you can stand rooted in his authority, believing he is active. And when you see the son come, you run to him. Heavenly Father, we believe in your power and your authority. We ask that you come into this place. We ask that you give us your Holy Spirit so that we might know and believe that you have gently restored us. Lord, it is amazing that you don't dominate us. You don't force each of our wills. You don't make us do the things you want us to do, but instead you guide, you ask, you gently correct so, Lord, help us to be people of gentleness. Help us to know who we are, to not for a moment doubt our position as your children, and out of that position, be able to handle and look at the world with gentleness. Lord, each one of us is Laban. Each one of us has ways to repent, where we want our way, and we want to do it our way. Lord, help us to repent 
and trust in you. Amen.